The Big Beat manifesto goes, Big Beats are the best, get high all the time. Right. At the time, it felt like a much more all-encompassing philosophy. This is contagious. Yeah. This is outrageous. This is contagious. Hey, everybody, welcome to the LD Brothers podcast, episode sixty. Threeism. My name is Sean, and we're looking at the possibility of moving ahead in a three. And my name's Laura, and it's going to be a very respectful, very boundaried, rather horny triangle. <laughs> How are you? Uh, that might be a hard sell for uh, our respective spouses, but we'll see what happens. Plus, like, there's an ocean between us, so it's going to make I would say it would yeah. make the triangle hard to to maintain. But you know, the idea is there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, everything's going well. Just. Uh, up again early this morning. It is the middle of the night, basically. What is it, six o'clock? Half a six? Uh, it's like 5.30. 5.30, oh, fucking hell. I'm very sorry. Yeah. I, I promise I won't have anything to do next Sunday. Oh, that's okay. We'll uh, we'll figure something out. So what have you been up to this week? Anything exciting? Uh, Nope, I can't say that I have. Just editing podcasts and enjoying sleep. <laughs> what about you? We've been decorating, so I've been painting, and generally, just me and Phil nearly got divorced trying to put bunk beds together, like standard, usual decorating, but it's done now. <laughs> yes, yeah, I noticed that you guys did it up to the highest professional standards. It was to the highest professional standard. There was a little bit of paint on the on the light switch, but Phil knew that when he hired me, I wouldn't <laughs> do a professional job, so. <laughs> you should have just called Liam Noble. Yes, yeah, he could have done it for us, and... Could have got the uh, painting unmarked hands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, 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 when we were thinking about this episode, were you, like last week when we were finished recording, were you excited to watch this episode? Yeah, I really like this episode. Were you? Yes, this episode is probably one of my favorites of Series 9. I definitely, so this will give you a clue later for when you guess where I put it. But I think in terms of like, a genuinely funny episode of Peep Show, I would have put it higher, but it a little bit descends into sort of like sort of farce at the end, and that that brings it down a few for me. But you know, for most of the episode, I'd say it's a top ten episode. It's just that it gets a little bit silly. I think sort of in the middle somewhere. Yeah, it's really funny that you say that because that was one thing that I had made a mental note to say to you, which was much like Holiday where it kind of descends into the farcical madness, That's this episode kind of goes that same direction too. Yeah, they sort of, I feel like they not quite lose the plot, but it, it just all gets a bit daft in the middle with the eyeshadow. But we'll come to that. We'll talk about that when we get there. I really enjoyed last week's episode with Michael. So Yeah, that was great. He was, that was fun. He was great fun to record with, yeah. If any of you want to get on board and maybe do what Michael did for a, an episode of The Inbetweeners, you can... Go to the Patreon page and find out how. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So let's let's uh, dive in to the episode, shall we? Yes, let's do. All right. So we kick off where we are going to be most of this episode, which is Apollo House, and we are in Mark's bedroom, and you just hear Jeremy and Joe like just two guys like grunting away in the background, and 
Marcus thinking to himself, you know, uh, once upon a time I might have woken up to the song of a sound thrush. Now it's a couple of guys pounding the living daylights out of each other. <laughs> and then he kind yeah. of goes on to say, you know, when Jeremy had sex with a woman, I hated the noise, but at least there was something in it for me. Now there, now there are like two Jeremys in there humping each other. That would be his yeah. dream. And then you just hear Jeremy just yell fuck at the top of his lungs. <laughs> Um, so then we cut to them having, so, so Mark and Jeremy having a conversation and Mark says that just for his records, he just wants to make sure he's got this cleared up, that Jez is sleeping with Joe on the regular now. And Jez says in a very sort of smug way, yeah, yeah can't handle it. And Mark's like, yeah, I can handle it. I'm fine with it. But I just want to know, like, are you gay now? And Jez says, your word, not mine. And Mark is making it very clear that he doesn't have a problem with this, but he just wants to know, in typical Mark fashion, he just wants to know what he's filing Jeremy under for the time being. And yeah. he says if you had a Wikipedia page, which you don't, however many times you try and put one up, uh, would it say that you were gay or straight? And Jez says that you, he's not, he doesn't fit into the tiny little boxes. He's just looking for that one sacred connection. And for that, he would fuck any single member of the human race. And Mark says that he does believe that. Yeah, this is very funny. Um, what... To me, in this scene, this is just, you know, Jeremy's, like, uh, I think Michael may have mentioned this last week where he said that he thought Jeremy was pansexual. Mm. And I just think that this little speech right here is completely, you know, Jeremy's, like, decry that I will just fuck anything. I don't care. I am pansexual. <laughs> this is what I am. I Actually, when Michael said that, I made, like, a mental note to say, oh, am I right at thinking what pansexual is? Remind me pansexual definition it's you'll basically you know you're not uh, attracted to gender you're attracted to people is that right that's what i had in my head yes. that it was yeah yeah it's a is a sexual romantic or emotional attraction towards people regardless of their sex or gender identity uh pansexual people may refer to themselves as gender blind asserting that gender and sex are not determining factors in their romantic or sexual attraction of others yeah yeah i think jez is definitely pansexual i agree um he then goes on to say that he's always been a bit gay he's always liked a bit of that with like with pegging darty and mark is he's clearly the first that mark's heard of it because he seems appalled by this and he's like you and Peggy Darty yeah yeah and then Jeremy just says uh we used to get pissed and pull each other off and then he kind of questions why Mark didn't and he's like you should it was great <laughs> Mark just comes back with I have a long and varied list of regrets Jeremy and not being pulled off by Pedge isn't one of them <laughs> Um, Jez then says that the thing about sex with a guy is it's like getting your car fixed at the actual dealership. They've got all the codes you just plug right in, which I think is a great analogy. Um, you know, it's... I have often thought this same thing too. What, that it would like, be they'd know what to do? Yeah. I guess, like, I guess that makes sense when you think about it. I thought about this well before this episode ever aired, and then when Jeremy <laughs> said this line, I almost spit water out of my mouth because I was like, holy shit. It's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, I think I think there is an element of that, and I definitely have heard um, gay women say that about sleeping with other women. So I think Jez might be onto something. Um, <laughs> he says to Mark that um, you like blowjobs, don't you, Mark? And Mark just refuses to sort of engage with this line of questioning, and he says he's eating a fruit corn now, so can't talk about it. He starts getting visibly like uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. with this conversation, and Jez is like, "Of course you do. Everyone does." And he's like, "What's the most blowjobs you've ever had in one day? Like in the first happy days of a relationship?" And Mark says, "One." <laughs> and the way he says "one" <laughs> is brilliant. The way it's just 
well, yeah, this is, of course, Mark's never been in a relationship where he's getting 24-7 blowjobs. Like, it just, it's not, it's not been the nature of Mark's relationships. Um, but Jess says that his life now is a 24-7 blowjob bonanza. <laughs> um, at this point, Joe kind of walks in and he says that he's got to go. And uh, Jeremy's like, here, here's that Beastie Voice CD I was telling you about. And in just kind of a sign of the difference in age between Jez and Joe, Joe just politely tells him he doesn't own a CD player. And Jeremy just says, well, download the shit out of them. They're great. And Joe says, uh, yeah, I think they started before I was born and one of them is dead, which this line really made me laugh because I, so, um, so when I was going out with Bob, the bin burning guy, he, he was 14 years older than me, which especially when you're as young as I was, that's a massive difference. You know, he was like, he started university the same same time I started at primary school. So we were really like probably a whole generation apart. And we had so many conversations like this where he would make a joke and I wouldn't laugh. And then he'd have to explain to me why it was funny or he'd reference some band that I'd literally never heard of. Um, and I, this is sort of ties back to Peep Show as well. I had a mini displayer in about 2003 and he was like, what, what are these things? Like, what are these magical things? And I had to explain to him about mini discs, which I think was, you know, 15 years ago, the version of this conversation. <laughs> I also had friends that have a huge age gap. They have like a 12 year age gap. And yeah, they have a lot of that same thing where, you know, they started dating when she was 18 and he was 30. Yeah, a similar, and... similar age difference to us. I was like 18 and he was like 31 nearly 32 so yeah similar yeah uh, i also had a friend who was the older one of the relationship and it was very it really really fucking cracked me up because at one point he goes what kind of music do the young kids listen to these days <laughs> and i just looked at him and i was like dude i'm fucking older than you are like i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know what the kids are into um but I think that this kind of, this is the first time maybe that we see Jeremy ever being like, I don't know, like he's not, he's not on the cutting edge anymore, is he? He's an old man at this point. Yeah, I remember when I watched this, I remember that was exactly how I felt too. I was like, oh, Jeremy's all of a sudden not the cool, hip counterculture guy he thought he was. No, he's now like a old man. And it kind of, it helps as well that there's been such a long time gap between the series that suddenly Jez does look old now like Robert Webb had lost lost most of his hair by this point hadn't he so he'd really started to sort of look maybe that's why they decided to do this and like run with the idea that Jez was was becoming an old man <laughs> um yeah I agree that's probably uh, a good point yeah um at this point Joe leaves and as they do they give each other a kiss and Mark is just thinking to himself you know the gay couple i live with a gay couple it's political correctness gone normal uh jeremy starts to kind of talking to mark and says that he really likes him and then they get into a conversation because jeremy says do you think it matters if i'm not young dumb and full of cum and mark thinks oh or says excuse me oh you're older intelligent and then kind of pauses and full of cum <laughs> And Jess then says, except I'm not that intelligent because I don't really understand almost any of what the news is about. And I'm not even certain that I'm full of cum. And Mark just thinks, like, how have I got here? How am I having this conversation? And he says, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you're full of cum, Jess. And, um, <laughs> and Jess says, thank you. That seems to 
That seems to reassure him. Next scene, we are at a bookstore, and as expected, I found the bookstore. <laughs> Where is it? It is Chorleywood Bookshop for New Parade in Chorleywood, Chorleywood, Hertfordshire, England, in the UK. Mm, okay, so probably quite near to where they were filming, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I noticed that, if I recall correctly, a lot of the um, on-scene locations this season have been in Hertfordshire. Well, Chorleywood is where the old BBC studios were, and even though this isn't a BBC programme, I know that they rented out a lot of their studios to Channel 4, and so I oh. suspect that they were probably filming in one of the old BBC studios, and that's why. Uh, yeah, it says that they were filming in the West London Film Studios yeah, yeah. in London. Yeah, so over that way. Yeah. Um, now, this is kind of an interesting callback because we see April. Yeah, what was your reaction when April was on screen for the first time here? Okay, so I remember the teaser for this episode said something like, an old flame returns into Mark's life. And I was not even, I guess I was just assuming anybody but april mm, yeah i didn't read i didn't read a synopsis i'd had no idea whatsoever so when she came on screen i remember me and phil just both cheered and we were like and i remember us both looking at each other and being like she's the one we were like this is this is where this is going now he's got to end up with april yeah that's what i thought too i was like oh my god april and oh hello esther you've come to join the party in a witch's hat why does daddy let you up here go downstairs <laughs> go downstairs Take, take your witches out with you. Go on, it's not Halloween. Go on. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, I was honestly shocked when it April showed up, and um, but I just remember thinking it was really freaking weird. Yeah, it was odd that after what? How many years are we talking? Ten, eleven, eleven years uh, that April is is she's back. With no, I mean, it was good that there was no preamble because it was like, it was a great surprise. But for there to be no indication that he'd even been thinking about April. And there, there she was. So, University Challenged aired on December 3rd, 2004. And this episode, I guarantee you, was almost 14 years later. 14, 11. It was 11, yeah, 11 years later. that's also what I meant to say, 11. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was 11 years later. And I pulled up my tweets from this night when I was watching this again. And my first, so my first tweet after the sort of excitement of Peep Show being back on the telly was that, oh, like, April's back. This is amazing. She's definitely the one. Um and then, well, I'll, I'll tell you this this next week when we get to the next scene. So, yeah, you explain what's happening in this scene. Go on. So, Mark is kind of like just sitting at sitting and staring at her from the back. And there's this they're in this really small room, and there's like probably what like eight older women, and then Mark. Yeah, it's like um, a book reading, and in like a this is like I don't know if you you must have those in America. They're really common here. So, an author comes, reads a bit of their book. You pay be a tenor to sit and listen to it and then you get them to sign your book at the end mm -hmm. yeah we have those here yeah and then we find out that mark has basically google stalked april to this location and he thinks to himself yeah she's just as beautiful as when i failed to sleep with her and darty and she knows a fuckload <laughs> about the ottoman empire 
And then in a very creepy way, he thinks, if she voices the audio book, then it's look out St. Basil because I'm going to buy a box of wet wipes and have me a wanky Byzantine party. Yeah, the creepiest peep show line of all time, perhaps. Um, we then skip back. It's a very brief scene that we see April in, and we then, our shock, Esther, go away. Our, our shock then complete. We, um, we move back to more familiar territory with Jez and Megan having a life coaching session. Hang on. She's going downstairs again. Oh, no, you're both here. I'm going in your room. Fine, that's fine. You can go in my room. Watching Peppa. Um, so, yeah, it's Megan and Jez having a life coaching session. And Megan says that things haven't been great between her and Joe lately. Um, and Jeremy thinks to himself that that's probably what's going to happen when he's busy sucking off your life coach. Um, Megan says that she's thinking they should have a big chat and she's going to ask Joe if he's ready to commit because she is. Um, and she says to Jez, what do you think? And Jez clearly being invested in this situation says, don't do that. You let him do your thing, his thing, you do your thing. Um, and don't talk about I really enjoyed the scene. <laughs> That's the key to happiness. He's a great therapist. Um, Megan says that isn't what he, she, he expected him to say. And he says he's a straight shooter. Thinks, and I'm fucking your boyfriend. And he says that the time's up. And Megan says um, she's going to she's gonna call him. Jess says, don't, no, don't call Joe. Um, and she says, yeah, okay, I'm going to lock him out. Megan's clearly hard work. It's obvious at this point. Uh, so she locks mm-hmm. Joe out and then asks if... Um, Sorry, if Jez would like to stay for a glass of wine. Yeah, and Jeremy thinks to himself, she's sexy, artistic, and confused. It'd be rude not to. (laughs) And the story of Jez's life. As soon as I saw this scene, I was like, "Uh oh, this isn't uh, this isn't going to end well." (laughs) Yeah, this really isn't going to end well. Um, We then cut back to the bookshop, and at this point. Mark is queuing up to get his book signed and he's rehearsing in his head what he's going to say, say to April, uh, which is, we studied ancient history at Dartmouth, but that's all ancient history. Ha, ha, ha. Um, and as he gets... I love it. Yeah, it's brilliant. And as he gets to the front of the queue, um, he totally bottles it. She says, thank you for coming. And he says he loves the uh, Ottoman Empire. Yeah, and he says he thinks it's... He feels an affinity because some ingeniously savage children at my secondary school called me the sick man of Europe, which I thought was a great callback to um, the episode where he's a handyman. Uh, Yeah, at the school reunion. Yeah, yeah, having to deal with all the school reunion stuff. I loved it. And she sort of looks a bit sort of stunned by this, and he says, sorry, too much information. And she then says, no, actually, it's fine. I was ostracized by some horrible girls at school who called me Joan of Snark, which is is another (laughs) great nickname, yeah. And Mark thinks they're two peas in a pod. Um, she then asks who she should sign the book to. And he says, Mark Corrigan. And then thinks, does she recognize me? I should say something. Do you something. think it's weird that she doesn't recognize him? I don't know because they... Yeah, I guess it is because she was surprised to see him and she saw him on more than one occasion. But I guess, I don't know. I'm trying to think if I... Like of some of the encounters I had at university, and I was I was thinking exactly this, and I've sort of put in the margins of my notes, beautiful key. Um, so I had this briefly. I had a housemate in my second year at university called Beautiful Keith. He was he wasn't called Beautiful Keith. He was just called Keith, but he was beautiful, and all the girls loved him. And he was <laughs> he was he was just delicious, but so so far out of the league of any mortal woman that he um, 
we just sort of admired him from afar. He was older, he was a mature student, he was really sophisticated, he used to smoke French cigarettes. And he eventually left university to, he was working with a, uh, a singer who became a successful singer and he became a, he became a, like a well-respected music manager. So that's quite a story. And I knew him for a fair amount of time. I don't know if I'd know him if he came up to me on the street, but then if he said his name, I would. So I guess it's weird that she doesn't, even if she's thinking I can't place your face, once he says his name, that she doesn't clock it. Yeah. Um, he's thinking that he should say something to her. He doesn't want to tell her the truth, which is you sold me some brogues and then I followed you 200 miles and faked being a mature <laughs> student to see you. Um, she thanks him again and he starts kind of walking away and he thinks... I am now this instant missing my chance, which is another callback to the end of university challenge. Yeah. And uh, he's, he tells this woman who's getting her book signed, sorry to flout the queuing system like some syphilitic sultan, okay. but I wanted to say we did meet once before years ago at Dartmouth and the spark of um, recognition kind of comes into her face and she says, I thought I remembered you. But I wasn't sure. I transferred from... Co and then Mark says, I transferred from Co Coventry, then transferred back and back again. I think it's complicated. Bez won Big Brother, <laughs> another great callback yeah. around then. And Kilroy started Veritas. And then he invites April out for a glass of wine. Yeah. Um, and we then cut again to back to Jez and Megan, who are post-coital, and Jez says that this is the first time he ever betrayed the ethics of his life coaching organisation. And Megan says, it's fine, it was outside the coaching window. Um, and Jez says, yeah, I bet, in, I bet it's fine if football coaches have sex with their players as long as it's outside the coaching window. <laughs> um, Megan then says that Joe's going to be back soon, um, so he should probably go, and he thinks to himself that he wanted to hang out with Joe, but maybe tonight's not the best night because, you know, what's just happened. And Megan says she's going to have to book a double session just to talk through this shit. And Jess thinks, like, great, he's creating his own work. It's like when they fed the cows to the other cows in the 90s and got, what was it, super burgers? <laughs> this episode has a couple of really great underappreciated lines. And I think this, uh, I'm creating my own work, I'm living off my own mess, is really funny. Yeah. And then the uh, super burgers is also very funny, too. Yeah. We then move back to the bookshop where, bit bizarrely, everyone else is now gone, but April and Mark are sitting in the empty bookshop having a glass of wine. Don't know where the wine's come from, but whatever. Okay, maybe they couldn't afford to move to a pub. Mm. Um, and, uh, sorry, go on. Go ahead. And April says that her day job is, she's a lecturer, um, but this is what she does of an evening and Mark says this is her secret identity sort of like Indiana Jones she says yeah. yes oh you're back good hello Esther um, she says she's very much like Indiana Jones except she doesn't have a whip and then she says I ain't afraid of no snakes in a kind of awkward but <laughs> quite but like quite endearing little way and you can see like even more so that she's the one for Mark here um, Mark then says I can't help uh, Mark then says, I couldn't help but noticing that your book's co-written. And she says, that's my husband. But I still use my maiden name for the books. And I tweeted at this point, oh, fuck off. She's she's a lecturer. She's written a book and she's married. And then literally a minute later, I tweeted, I realise now, though, that I 
and all those things and she was a year behind me at university so I felt stupid but it just doesn't seem possible that April's old enough to have a respected job have written a book be married to someone it's just she's still always going to be that 18 year old in my head yeah so how so you think she was how old in university challenge she was meant to be starting university and I was in my second year at university so she would have been a year behind me so 18 or 19 Okay, so she's probably like 29 or 30 now. Yeah, she was like, well, I don't know how old the actual actress is, but I think me and April are meant to be almost exactly the same age. Huh, that's interesting. I guess I never thought about that. Yeah, it just... Maybe she's just a fast burner. Yeah, it was... I was like, oh, that that seems unlikely, but then realized that that was silly because that definitely was the case for me. I'm going to look up how old the actress is. Hang on. Drum roll, please. She was born on the 1975, so she's actually a lot older. She's 10 years older than me, but she's meant to be playing my age. And she looks good on it, let's be honest. It's crazy. She doesn't look like she has aged at all in 11 years. No, she doesn't look like she's aged today. If you go back and watch, so once you've watched Series 9 from now on, and then you go back and watch University Challenge, she looks maybe a bit fresher, like she's had a bit more sleep, but really is unchanged like her face is unchanged i don't think you could say the same about me one thing that i forgot to mention earlier that i was a little annoyed about is that i felt like april was kind of a cheap cop out did you why yes i felt like it was weird that we've had you know basically uh was it like i guess 12 year build-up to mark's one and it was just some random woman that he met in series two and then basically never mentioned her again at all. I guess that's true. He never, it wasn't like he ever thought, Oh, thought about her and thought about the one that got away. Although maybe it wasn't his private thoughts, I guess, but who would you like to, to have been? Was there someone you had in mind? The girl at the uh, coffee at the cafe that he proposes uh, to. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. That would have been good actually. Well, they didn't think about her either. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I always just was team Mark and Sophie. I I guess... No, I definitely wasn't really team Mark and Sophie. I was happy enough about this. I, and I was definitely happy that... Yeah, I, I was happy enough with this. I, I guess I hadn't really given it much thought as to the not thinking it through. Like, with him not mentioning her in the all the years that have passed. But then I don't know who I would have wanted it to be more either. Yeah. I think it's kind of hard to say who it should have been when there's a long list of women it could have been. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. So Mark says that, you know, oh, you're married, and he says that that sounds like a dream setup. April says that she does all the PR work and most of the writing, too, and at this point, Mark can kind of hear in her voice that she's not all happy, and Mark thinks to himself, interesting. And then April says, I mean, it's fine. Angus is so busy with all his research. And Mark thinks, oh, hello, resentment, my old friend. I've come to stoke you up again. (laughs) And then April looks at Mark and says, Mark, I don't mean to be weird or anything, but did anything happen between us at one of McLeish's weird darty parties? And Mark has this great part where he's like, oh, I don't know if I can remember back that far. And in his head, he thinks, for the moment, I replay nightly. (laughs) And he says that they had a cuddle once, but that was about it. And she says that she needs to go and Angus is awaiting and she gets to walk off. And as she's walking off, Mark thinks to himself, Mark, pull your dick out from the stone. 
Uh, yeah, and he says that as a matter of fact, he's having a dinner party tomorrow night. Um, ridiculously short notice. And she says, no, 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 I'm free tomorrow. Although Angus isn't going to be around because he's going to be at a conference. Um, but, you know, I'm around. And, and Mark says, yeah, come on your own. It's not like you're chained together. And then um, he says, tomorrow's a date. And he's like, not a date, but the date in which it's going to happen. And it's all beautifully awkward. And you can see that. You can see in her eyes that she's got there's some interest from her in there. This is where what I don't understand is that he invited her to this dinner party, not 100% sure if Angus was going to be there or not, but what the fuck was he thinking of preparing her? Like, if she had said, okay, great, Angus and I will be there, like, what would he have made for dinner? I guess, I guess she has said that he's at a conference, so I guess he's pretty, Mark's pretty clear in his head that Angus won't be there, but I agree with you that he'd have some sort of pasta sauce on the go which yeah. he doesn't appear to have when it actually comes to the crunch. Uh, so next scene, we are back in Apollo House. It's probably later on Friday, I think is what he said. Yeah, it's the next day, the day of the dinner party, whenever that... Oh, it's a, it's a Saturday. Jeremy Jeremy says it's a Saturday night in a little while. Uh, Mark is making hummus. Jeremy walks in and starts seeing Mark making his own hummus with an immersion blender, and this is very, like, crazy to Jeremy, where he just asks Mark what he's doing, and Mark just casually answers back that he's making hummus. Yeah, and Jeremy is completely confused by this. He's like, who makes hummus? It's, you know, what are you going to do next? Start making your own pasta. And Mark says he has made his own pasta. And Jeremy's like, Jesus, Mark, Jamie Oliver and Sainsbury's make the food. We eat the food, which is a fabulous line. And in Have you ever food, made your own hummus? I have. I was going to say, so this is, I I think I make a wicked hummus. And I've had compliments on my hummus. Phil won't eat it because he says it's too garlicky. And he will, he rejects my hummus for shop-bought stuff. So I think he's a cretin. But, um, <laughs> but he just says it's, it's better. Like they've got the machines. They, 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 they blend it down properly. Like yours is lumpy. Whereas I've been told it's rustic. Uh, but I think maybe people were just being polite and Phil's telling the truth. But I like my own hummus. I prefer it to shop all stuff. I've never made my own pasta, though, have you? A long time it ago. It looks we like made a own... pain in the ass when you can just buy fresh pasta, which is delicious. It's a huge pain in the ass. I do not recommend doing no, it. No, that's what I thought. That was my hunch. Um, Mark tells Jeremy that April from Darty is coming over and Jeremy says, Oh my God, the girl from the shoe store, you finally tracked her down and you're luring her back to your lair to eat her with pasta and mark says it isn't a lair it's my flat and the sole subterfuge is thinking that she's coming to a dinner party but i've got a feeling that guests may cancel at the last minute naughty unreliable guests <laughs> and jeremy's all excited and he says finally i'm rubbing off on you <laughs> this dynamic really reminds me of so i don't know if you've ever had this situation and obviously like we don't really anymore because we're both married but me and my best friend, the dynamic between us was always that she tried to stop me doing bad things and I encouraged her to do bad things and we'd sort of meet somewhere in the middle. And I love that feeling of like when your straight-laced friend is about to do something bad and or something like and like something out of character. And I can see that in Jez that he's he's really excited that Mark's sort of like being a bit edgy. Yeah, I agree. It's very funny where uh, Jeremy's all like very excited that mark is about to kind of do something a little out of character yeah. for him um and mark says that he thinks that she might be his perfect woman she's a serious academic historian who got my joke about indiana jones she just texted saying professor jones has her whip ready i think it's probably the sexiest text that anyone's ever received and he's just I and mean, it's really sweet as well to see 
Mark's so excited because he, because of the way Mark is and he's so in his head all the time, he so rarely gets excited about, even when he was sort of first in love with Dobby, he never got excited in that way. And with Sophie, it was just one long, like, anxiety attack for him. But he's genuinely, like, I don't know, you can tell that he's genuinely excited about her and what the possibilities are here. Jeremy says that that Mark should go the full indie and write I love you on the eyelids. And I was glad that I had just recently watched Indiana Jones in the last crusade because I completely had forgotten that this happened. Uh, but I've never movie, seen an Indiana Jones film. So Phil had to explain this to me. Oh yeah. One of the girls in Indiana Jones's class writes, I love you on her eyelids. And then she slowly blinks yeah. at him. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. But Mark says he likes the idea, but it's too mad. And Jez sort of spurs him on and, and Mark says he was thinking, how could I turn up the heat? Um, and he says he could blink at her as she comes through the door. Um, and he thinks it'd be an absolute hoot. Um, it's the sort of thing you think about, but you'd never actually do. And Jez says, not on my watch, come on, and goes to, to write it on his eyelids. And again, it's that it's it's what works well between Mark and Jeremy. It's Mark, it's Jez just helping Mark that little bit to, to make him do something silly, but but sweet that he wouldn't otherwise have the courage to do. Yeah, it's it's very funny. The scene is blocked really well where um, you see the pen coming towards Mark. You, you see it from Jeremy's perspective and you see him like getting ready to write on Mark's eyelids and then it goes back to Mark's perspective and the screen is just entirely black. Yeah, and then he opens his eyes. Um, yeah. Jeremy says, this is what real friends are for, making you do brilliant things that you'd never do otherwise. <laughs> this is how the LD brothers roll. Um, <laughs> and uh, and Mark is obviously thrilled, even though he's sort of saying, like, oh, God, this is crazy. He's obviously thrilled at the idea of this. And then the doorbell rings and he says, oh, God, why would she be here so early? I haven't even finished pureeing the chickpeas. And Jez goes to answer the door. But instead of April, it's actually Megan standing there. And Megan just looks at Jeremy and says, hey, Jezebel, got off work early and thought I'd see how it's hanging. And Jeremy is a little concerned at this point because Joe is in the bedroom and Megan is in the hallway and he's playing genital jingle. <laughs> um, so I'm not asking for like you to reveal to our listeners any you know dark underbelly secrets you might have. But you, have you ever been in a situation where you've been maybe doing something on the sly with someone that you shouldn't have been and any situation like this has happened. When I was like maybe 16 or 17 it did. I was I was uh I had a girlfriend that lived in Overland Park which is like I don't know 10 15 minutes from me and I had met another girl up in Lawrence, Kansas which is I don't know like maybe an hour from me. And so I was able to kind of maintain these two because they lived in two totally different directions mm -hmm. from each other. But then I was a lifeguard at a pool. <laughs> and one day they both decided to visit me at the pool at like the exact same time. So that's like that how little... sitcoms, that's how, how sitcoms start. What, what happened? Did they bump into each other? Because I was at work and I couldn't really like spend time with them. I was able to just kind of like nod at one, wave at the other, and then just kind of navigate through it. But if I remember correctly, I ended up breaking up with the girl from Lawrence, like, right after that. Because your nerves were just shot to pieces. So I had, like, it was a thing going on with a guy that I shouldn't have had a thing going on with. Um, and his <laughs> partner was, 
she wasn't there but I was in the house and someone knocked on the door and he was like shit that's so and so who's a friend of both of us or whatever and he was like I can get rid of her really quickly just like shut yourself in the downstairs toilet and so I did sitting there thinking oh god if she needs the loo I'm absolutely I'm toast and but then he forgot that my shoes were in the dining room so he had to while this woman was talking he had to find and get rid of my shoes and he ended up throwing them out the kitchen door so they went to the bottom of the garden which you know wasn't in any way suspicious um I, but I could absolutely like that's the only time really that I've ever had that kind of fear of like being caught out and I can completely sense Jeremy's utter terror here like you can he Robert Webb does a really good job of conveying just that <laughs> that like fuck what am I gonna do like he's in the bedroom she's in the hallway I don't know how I'm gonna explain this yeah i love this and as they walk around the the corner you see joe walking out of the bedroom and he's got he's like buttoning his shirt up and he doesn't have any shoes on and megan is just saying like joe and joe looks at megan and says megan and jeremy starts going on this rant about how joe just popped over what a fun coincidence (laughs) megan asks joe if he's having a coaching session and jeremy says no he just came around for a friendly visit and then Joe asks Megan if she came around for a coaching session, and Jeremy says, "No, no, no, both just friendly coincidental visits. How lucky, how brilliant!" Um, and then he says he thinks he's like, "How? How can I start this?" He's like, "Can I start a fire, like a little fire in the hallway?" And uh, and he says, "I'll be back in a love, minute." And he just goes. I love how he just starts flicking the random. Yeah, he goes too. into the kitchen, and Mark's talking about the food and and jeremy's just clearly not listening anyway he's like flicking that he's got he's got lighters lined up on the radiator in the kitchen and he's testing them to see if they work um i also think that the actors playing um megan and joe do a really good job as well of that because not only is jez panicking but they both know they've they've done something wrong so without knowing the other one has so they're panicking as well and each actor does a really good job of conveying the individual's panic and it just is really funny yeah it's this whole like Jeremy, Joe, Megan triangle throughout this entire episode is really, really fucking funny. Yeah, um, Jez is still thinking about what he's going to do, and he thinks a run. Yeah, let's go for a totally normal Saturday night three-person run. <laughs> and just then, April knocks on the door. Oh no, sorry, no, sorry. Just then, the phone rings, and it is April. And uh, Mark says, "April." Or he thinks to himself as he's looking at his phone, April. And then in his head, he, or as he picks up the phone, he says, Dr. Jones, I presume, just whipping up a feast. And you kind of hear her on her end. And uh, she says that Angus isn't going to his conference after all and asks if it's okay if we both come to the dinner party. Mark thinks, no way. But what he really says is, no problem, no problemo, amigo, hasta la vista. <laughs> and Mark thinks to himself, Spanish has the stress turned me entirely Spanish. He, um, and, it's, this really is this is really good as well in that way that you talk to people when you are when you're nervous about uh, it, it's, it's really well conveyed of that when you particularly if someone phones that you want to impress but you don't know very well and you just end up making a massive twat of yourself <laughs> um mark says that it's perfectly okay if they're um you know they come over every they've got other guests one more person at the party is not a big deal i'll see you in 30 and Mark thinks to himself, oh, I'm utterly fucked on account of Spanish. <laughs> and Jeremy just said, and then we cut back to the bedroom, Jeremy's bedroom, and he's looking at Megan and Joe, and he's, uh, 
can you guys smell smoke? And Megan says, no, they can't. And Jeremy says, ah, you know, I'm not feeling well. Maybe you guys should. And before he can even finish, Mark just pops in and invites Megan and Joe to stay for a delicious feast. Yeah. Um, and Jess says it might not be convenient. And Mark's like, well, as that may be, I'm afraid I insist. It's going to be amazing. You must stay. And they're both typically English and can't say, no, this sounds like a dreadful idea. So they say they will. Um, and Jeremy follows Mark back into the kitchen and asks what he's doing. And Mark says, it's her husband. He's coming now. And Jeremy even more pleased if that's possible than he was originally is like the husband you dark filthy horse you didn't mention him and mark says that he's got they've got 30 minutes to get some dinner together and he just starts grabbing random shit around his um kitchen he just grabs some lettuce and jeremy's like bulky lettuce (laughs) and um he orders jeremy to make him a rum make a cocktail Jeremy asks what cocktail. Mark says, I don't know, any fucking thing. Because uh, they're all basically horrible. Uh, he, Him and Jeremy start like whipping together a quote-unquote meal that consists of pasta, beans, uh, was it lettuce and eggs? Yes. Um, now, this annoys me a little bit for two reasons here. So... Mark starts asking Jeremy to make some sort of d- insane water and parsley and rum cocktail. Well, they mention that Mr. Patel's, they talk about Mr. Patel's here. So even if we'd forgotten, Mr. Patel's is very close by. And I expect it's as close as my closest shop, which I can literally see from my window where I'm sat now. So what you would do in this situation is you would go and you would buy 10 bottles of wine, you would, you're, you think, I'm going to get everyone drunk because then they won't really realise the food. And then you would make some sort of pasta bake. Don't tell me he hasn't got a tin of tomatoes in his cupboard. And you would make some sort of cheese thing. You would put pasta and you would put cheese and you would put it in the oven. And it wouldn't, it would not be haute cuisine, but it would be filling and it would be fine. And you would serve that up with the wine and it would be okay. Why does he not take that route? Yeah. I don't know. There's a, I mean, this episode is very farcical, so I'm, yeah. yeah. This episode's very farcical. One one little line that Jeremy has during the cooking scene is Mark starts picking the beans out of the uh, the baked beans because they just want the, the sauce, and Jeremy just looks at Mark and says, what the hell are you doing? And Mark says, I'm picking the beans out, and Jeremy re- responds with your disgusting human fingers. <laughs> and then Mark starts trying to mash them with a potato masher. Um, and he's gone proper manic at this point, and he's like, cooking is just all about confidence, I'm going to mix it all together, I'm going to go Nigella, I'm going to be the hairy biker, and Mark thinks, sorry, Jeremy thinks that's not Nigella, that's not even Ainsley, mate, which made me laugh, because, so, this is a little bit of a callback to uh, the Ready Steady Cook days, back in sort of series two or three, where Jeremy's watching a lot of Ready Steady Cook uh, at home, and... Oh my god! Yeah, I forgot and about Ainsley that. Harriet was the host of of Ready Steady Cook, and is well known for being like a flamboyant, if not fabulous, chef. So this line really made us laugh. And we, so when me and Phil first got together, Phil lived with a housemate, his friend Sam, and for some reason I can't remember why, but we, because I started staying there a lot, and we were all cooking together, the joke started to be that one of us was Ainsley to the point that that this joke went so far that Phil got Ainsley Harriet's face printed on a on a cushion cover as a christmas present for Sam like it it was we were 
we we mentioned Ainsley a lot, so this made us laugh a lot. <laughs> um, you know, Mark and Jeremy are trying to figure out like what the hell this dish is, and Jeremy just throws out that is it Moroccan? Maybe it's Moroccan, <laughs> and Mark just you know goes with it because they can't prove otherwise. <laughs> that's the and Mark just says fuck them, and Jeremy just says yeah, that's the dinner dinner party spirit. And then all of a sudden, Mark remembers that he's got I love you written on his eyelids, and now he's got a new problem to deal with. Yeah, so he thinks about scouring them with a kitchen scourer, which is a bit grim. Uh, and he asks Jeremy if he's used permanent marker. Jeremy thinks he may have done. Mark says he's going to have to bleach his eyes. And oddly, it's Jeremy that steps in to say, eye bleach, is that a bad idea? <laughs> <laughs> and Mark says he's just going to have to keep his eyes open all night then that's the only possible thing he could do and I again this annoys me a little bit because you'd be able to get that off somehow I think yeah I don't know how you would with permanent marker though like now varnish removal would work and, I, and I, I'm and i alright they're two guys living in a house maybe they don't have a lot of nail varnish remover knocking around but I just think there would be some way to get that off your skin without, without resorting to keeping your eyes open all night Ooh. Yeah, rubbing alcohol. Yeah, maybe? like hand gel, alcohol hand gel, that would work, I think. Ooh, God, I'm just oh, vodka. As a so maybe who works with the eyes. Maybe rum would work, but I mean, it is your eyes. But he was also going to put bleach on them, so I think at this point, <laughs> anything is a step down. Yeah, um, we hear. Uh, at this point, we go to a new scene, and Dean and Mark opens the door, and it's April and her husband Angus. And for like the briefest of seconds, I thought this was Peter Capaldi, and I was really impressed with the callback. Yeah, me too. I really wanted it to be Peter Capaldi, and me and Phil talking about it afterwards agreed that what we really wanted was for sight unseen her to be married to McLeish. But understandably, Peter Capaldi, but I think he was Doctor Who at this point. Like he had better things to do but that would have been brilliant if it had been him but i imagine that she met angus in a similar way i bet he was one of mcleish's friends probably suspect that they just tried to get somebody that looked remotely like peter capaldi had a similar build to peter capaldi and just gave him a new name yeah. and probably and just basically made him the same character as mcleish yeah i am um, i also ha i'd never seen this guy in anything but he's also in flowers the um olivia coleman Channel Four thing. Oh yeah, and I, I I watched Flowers after I watched this, and in Flowers he plays a really like sexually sort of forward, <laughs> quite creepy guy, and I was like, that's not Angus. Like I refuse to believe that this is what he would be like. Yeah, that does sound exactly what uh, Angus would be like. <laughs> yeah, um, April and Angus have bought chocolates rather than wine because, as April says, everyone buys wine. Boys brings wine. And Mark thinks that'll be one bottle between six then. Fucking go out. Go to the fucking off-license, Mark. I, this this irritates me more than anything because you can't... Maybe this is just like the old soak in me or the Brit in me, but any social situation, however awkward, can be made better if you pour a pint of wine down someone's neck. Like, that's what you need to do. <laughs> yeah, and instead of wine, Mark is trying to use Rabina. <laughs> yeah. Um, Angus says that he and April... It says, oh, so you and April were at Dartmouth together to Mark. Um... And Mark says, yep. And he's like, almost unbearable urge to blink and sort of turns around and blinks. And he's like, ah, oh, lovely. The last one of the night. And um, he, he gestures for them to come through and says, help yourself to hummus. It's freshly made. And if I say so myself, quite delicious. And then thinks, unlike the rest of the meal. Um, and then 
he offers them a cocktail that's made of rum, water, lettuce, vinegar, and the secret ingredient sauce, which just sounds disgusting. Yeah, um, I can't think of anything I want to drink less than rum, water, lettuce, vinegar, and salt, I have to say. Yeah. Um, we find out that Angus is uh, was supposed to be off to a conference, but there was a date mix-up, and he's excited because April can actually join him. And he's going to be talking tomorrow on the trans cultural memory in the Ottoman empire. And as he's doing this, he drinks down like a piece of lettuce and uh, Angus starts to say, wow, this is, and Mark just cuts him off and says, it's Moroccan. I love it. It's quite subtle. Um, and Angus says he might take it slow, leave some for the other guests. And Mark's like, good idea. I'll just go and see where the other guests are. And he goes into the corridor and says to Jez, can you haul in the mannequins, the normalizers? Um, and then he turns to Megan and says, also, Megan, would you happen to have a small makeup bag about your person? And we cut scene. We go to the next scene and Jeremy's walking into the kitchen and he just looks at Mark and says, oh, my God. And Mark is putting on some blue eyeshadow. Does quite a good job since I'm assuming this is the first time Mark has ever put on eyeshadow. Before. Yeah, he does. I think, again, there's got to be something else in that bag that would work, that would be better than blue eyeshadow, like concealer, foundation, anything else blue eyeshadow is not disguising this but mark probably doesn't know shit about concealers that's true i suppose yeah i guess if you gave the average man a makeup bag and said do something with that they probably it probably wouldn't end well so i guess he's just gone for something that he thinks will cover it um he he debates if he should claim fancy dress <laughs> or just go with the full english button down and hope they don't mention it and jeremy kind of says look i just want to get something out in the open here <laughs> Joe thinks Megan's fucking around on him and Megan thinks Joe's fucking around on her. And Jeremy, then he continues to say, and I happen to know they're both right because I've just sort of decided to end up, because I've sort of ended up sleeping with both of them. And Mark just looks appalled and he just says, <laughs> you're humping them both. And Jeremy tries to play it off and he says, oh, you know, it's getting quite tiring especially when i have to do them both in one day and then mark does this oh it must be so hard for you <laughs> and he makes like a humping motion followed by a crying motion and turns around and does the same thing again um i think that mark is out of order to take the moral high ground here as he is just this moment trying to steal another man's wife i have to say yeah i think that's why i enjoy this part because he's getting all sanctimonious about this while actively trying to steal another man's wife yeah i also think and i thought this at the time that mark would have i think for anyone however morally ambiguous it's quite a big leap to break up a marriage or to want to break up a marriage or to want to sleep with someone who's married and i think mark would have a i just think he would have a I read a line about this that he wouldn't cross and it's sort of never mentioned that he's got any moral any moral conflict about the fact that April's got a husband and he's clearly trying to get off with her. Yeah, that's true. I guess I hadn't thought about that. Mm. Um, uh, sorry, go on. Jeremy says the plus side is is because they're both fucking around on him that they can't make a big deal about it if they find out and... Mark just tells Jeremy that, you know, you can't fuck them both. I'm afraid that's not how civilization works. And Jeremy thinks to himself, civilization, schmivilization. <laughs> At this uh, point, they walk into the living room where they have the table set up. And 
Mark brings in this disgusting looking dish and he says, did Maggie mention she's an artist? And Megan just looks at Mark and says, it's Megan. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sorry. Maggie's just a nickname that she hates. Um, then um, Angus asked if he's wearing eyeshadow, to which he says it's something he's doing. He was told it was the fashion, but he may have been misinformed. <laughs> and then he thinks to himself, serve up, move on. And just like totally goes in for a new topic and he's like so you two are writing a book together um and april says that she does the bulk of the writing but angus's ideas are what the book's actually built on and angus says sort of quite patronizingly that april's doing herself a disservice she's a real historian out of the two of them of two of us i think of myself as more of a theologian really and it's like oh my god who is this brick as angus continues to talk he says you know the Holy Roman Empire is a guilty pleasure of mine. Mark thinks he's very decent, very wholesome. How can I steal his wife? <laughs> Angus continues that these aren't fashionable subjects all above our heads. And Joe just kind of is like, especially yours, ages. <laughs> and they do the thing where everybody kind of laughs at Jeremy and Jeremy just kind of ends up laughing with them. And he decides to drop some theological truth bombs on the dinner party. And he asks first if Jesus had a cat and... <laughs> Angus says, I wouldn't have thought personal pets in the sense that you'd... And then before he can continue, Jeremy just says, and if you don't know, you can just say. And uh, he continued, Jeremy continues, and he says, well, I do find it interesting that all you pointy heads living inside your Westminster bubble, people... And Angus cuts him off and says he's not a politician. And Jeremy just corrects himself and moves on. People like you in your ivory tower who are like, who gives a fuck about the real issues? And they interrupt and april, say it's april who says what oh. the issue of yeah the real issue of whether jesus had a cat and um and i just did, i really enjoy it like jez's little rant here that he goes off on that sort of patched together from things he's heard on talk radio <laughs> and you know like things that he's heard someone say in the pub and he sort of patches them together to be a little inspirational speech um they so rock has, has dished out the meal by this point um, and he explains that it is Moroccan, like his eyeshadow. And Megan says, with the most appalled look on her face, that it tastes like baked beans on spaghetti with lettuce. And Mark says, I would hate to call you a racist at my dinner party, but I think it's a little bit more sophisticated than that. It's from the Atlas Mountains. Um, and if, we all... ever do, if we ever do a live show, this is uh, going to be our main course. <laughs> Can you imagine like how appalling it would taste it's just every time i watch this episode i just think christ almighty that would taste foul <laughs> yeah i think so too <laughs> um jez is thinking about how this is a disaster joe thinks he's an idiot but he's not an idiot he's paxman so he decides that he's gonna go in with another another absolute intellectual zinger and he says you know to be honest i've never really got it about jesus i mean apart from all the christian stuff what did he even do <laughs> And Angus is like, apart from Christianity, which is like the whole moral universe we live in, uh, what did he do? And Jez is like, I'm not knocking the guy. Like, you know, apart from that, what did he achieve? And he says he's not saying that he likes him or anything, but he, at least Hitler did some paintings. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Angus then says, like, if you're comparing Hitler and Jesus, then I can't have this conversation. And then just as, as you know, the conversation sort of tailing off, um, Jeremy realizes that Megan's got her foot in his groin under the table. Yep. And then out of nowhere comes another foot. And Jeremy's just like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. And Joe and Megan touch each other's toes. And 
Megan just looks at Joe and says, Joe, what the fuck? Um, yeah, and Jeremy says, quick as a flash, that was actually Mark's foot. He does that sometimes for a laugh, for a laugh. And Mark, obviously, not having the foggiest idea what he's talking about, says what? And Jez says, you sometimes put your foot in my groin under the table. And Mark's like, no, I don't. And Megan looks under the table and she says, Mark's got his shoes on. And Jez says he's quick. He slips them on and off. It's part of our flirty, dirty game. And Mark, clearly keen to not appear gay in front of April, says, uh, I've got no idea what he's talking about. (laughs) And Megan, just at that point, picks up her glass of wine and throws it in Jez's face. And then she says loudly, my boyfriend is fucking my life coach. And Joe's like, no, Megan, can we talk about this, please? And Megan and Joe go storming out of the room into Jeremy's room. And Mark thinks, oh, brilliant. Freak show, sideshow at the shit show. (laughs) And you hear Joe and Megan in the background kind of arguing, what the fuck were you doing? What was I doing? What the fuck were you doing? And Jeremy tries to just say, I might leave them to it, but Mark gives him the full Paddington stare yes. and just starts staring a hole straight through Jeremy. Yeah. Um, April, sorry, April says she needs a cigarette. Has anyone got a cigarette? Angus. And then we find out a little bit more about Angus and April's relationship. Yeah. Angus says, I thought you'd given up when she asked for a cigarette. And she says, I thought things, you thought things. Turns out people can surprise you. And Mark's like, oh, brilliant. Like he... Clearly, this is music to his ears, and he's like, hello, what's going on here? And she... My favorite line of the entire series (laughs) is Mark is sitting there rubbing his hands together, and he thinks to himself, stop actually rubbing your hands together. Yeah, and um, she... It's just a brilliant line, and then they continue... Angus and April continue their bickering, and he is... uh, She says that... um, she gets it's a just, cigarette and Angus says, fine, choke yourself. And she says, well, at least I tell you when I'm breaking a promise. And um, then she sort of turns to the assembled people in the room and says, she's sorry, but it's just a bit of a flashback to what happened in Corfu. And Mark, keen to weed all more of this out, says, Corfu? And she says, oh, it's nothing. Well, Angus says, it's nothing. And she says, when we were in Corfu last summer, we had a little bit of relationship trouble. And Mark says, he's sure it's all fine now. He doesn't want to pry and then he thinks, weedle, weedle, pry and needle. Um, and she says that they've had counselling, we've dealt with the issues, we've moved on, but the wounds are still there. And Mark says it can be good to give them a good inspection every now and again. Get those wounds out. Yeah, Angus says as a penance, he went to live with the monks on Ma- Mount Athos for three months. April corrects him, ten weeks. And <laughs> Angus says, ten weeks, whatever. She continues that apparently he lived on nothing but dry bread and goat's milk, but when she picked him up, there was a lot of Nutella jars in his recycling, and (laughs) Angus just apologizes and says, I know I can be weak. Yeah, and April then says, weak how exactly, Angus? You don't have to achieve sainthood. I just want you to not try, try not to fuck anyone else. And Mark thinks that this is amazing. It's so uncomfortable. This could be my night of greatest triumph if I weren't about to die from eating these poisonous eggs. (laughs) And then at that point, April just kind of storms out of the room and heads to Mark's room. Yeah. Oh, no, I guess... I guess that hasn't happened yet. I'm sorry. No, I think they are still sitting around the table at this point. Yeah. Um, Mark. We then cut to Mark in the kitchen. Uh, he's thinking, for the cheese course, I have a soft cheese. Dairy Lee molded together with my bare hands. <laughs> plus Ugh. a taste... And he's made like a ball of Dairy Lee, which just looks horrible. And plus a taste of young Stilton. Ingenious, but totally mental. 
out of bread and crackers just need to convince state with conviction that it's time for cheese and lettuce the most natural combination in the world um as and then as they're as he's presenting this disgusting cheese dinner to them one of which we should have mentioned the stilton is actually just a white cheese that he has drawn blue bits on with a marker yeah um as he's presenting this cheese dish to them jeremy megan and joe all sit down and rejoin and they say that and this is where i was like totally all in on this episode um they said that they're gonna give it a go we're looking at the possibility of moving forward as a three becoming a triangle a very respectful very boundary rather horny triangle with (laughs) guidelines and then they give it the name the threeism the threeism and um and Angus, you know, clearly just trying to make conversation in this very awkward situation says, oh, that's great that you're going to try and approach this situation in the most adult way possible. And April sort of bitterly laughs and says, oh, God, is that what you want to give this a go with her and me in some kind of triangle? And Mark thinks, oh, Angus, you just can't seem to say anything right. <laughs> um, and then at this point, she storms away into Mark's bedroom and Mark kind of follows after her and he just says, no, I'm so sorry this all happened here. And then to himself, just very sensitively shut her in. Uh, April says that she's still a bit raw, and but that she still loves him. And Mark says, of course, of course you do. And April asks, can you tell Angus that I need to talk to him? And Mark thinks, or says, yeah, that's fine, April. But to himself, he says, although you might have picked a slightly corrupt postman. <laughs> um, so the, the we go back into the living room and, and Megan says that this is all very exciting, but she needs to make a move home. So, you know, sort of gestures to Joe, like, come on. And Jeremy says, oh, I thought Joe was staying here tonight. And he sort of pulls out a piece of paper and he's like, according to the guidelines. And uh, Megan says, no, it's Saturday. So it's Joe and Megan night. And... Um, Jess says, yeah, but you spent the last night together, so... And then he starts to read from this document. It's like, on two, on no two consecutive nights, etc., etc. And Megan says, yeah, but, you know, you two have already fucked today, so it's my turn for a go on Joe. Um, which something about that line always makes me laugh. And Jeremy says, oh, okay, I guess it's up to Joe then. And it's just horrible. It's really awkward. The triangle is broken down at the first hurdle. <laughs> I know, it's the first rule of polyamory is you're going to, you have to have trust. Yeah, exactly. You've got a, I've seen enough documentaries about Mormon wives to know that, you know, stick to the, stick to the timetable and trust each other. I watched Big Love. Yeah, and uh, Mark is thinking to himself, or Mark says to Angus, she loves you, but she's not sure she likes you. And Mark thinks to himself, naughty postman. <laughs> and Angus is drinking down some more of the... Um, gross cocktail and Mark's think yes take down my drink down my lies angus they taste good don't they and angus looks at the wine that he's drinking and he says is this ribena and mark says yes it is ribena i'm not an alcoholic i'm just a complicated guy with a complicated past like you in april <laughs> <laughs> um so we then cut back to the threeism that having broken down and uh, joe says why did you have to sleep with her um, and he's like, and then Jess is like, oh, so when you were humping two people, it's fine. But when I start humping two people and Joe says, no, because you knew that we were humping and, you know, you kept making a secret because you like her more than me. 
And he's like, no, I won't admit it because it's not true. And then Mark sort of passes through the argument to go back into April to lie to her and tells her that Angus loves you, but he doesn't know if he respects you. Angus pops in and he just says April and Mark kind of quickly kind of tries to cover his tracks. And he says, I was just explaining. And April says, you know, I think I got it right. I just need some space to think. And Mark just thinks, that's right. Off you fuck. <laughs> and then Mark says, April, if if you like, there's a and b nearby or, you know, I can take the sofa and you can take my bed. And April says, that's kind, Mark, but I just want to go home. And she looks at Angus and says, Gus, do you mind staying here? And Angus just says, no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, this has not gone the way that uh, that Mark wanted it to go. Um, nope, not he, at all. Angus just says, let's talk anon. <laughs> and then uh, April turns to Mark and says, you know, bye and, and thanks. And Mark thinks, great, she's gone and I'm left with the Jesus lunk who, because of manners, I can't simply push out of the window. Uh, we go back to the living room and Megan is just like, for God's sakes, this is pathetic. I never asked you to fight over me. And Mark says that he thinks the fighting phase seems to be ending, actually. And Megan sees Joe and Jeremy making out and she just says, oh, for fuck's sake. And Angus comes back into the living room and he says, thank you, Mark. Thank you for letting me stay. You're a good man. I feel like I want to talk, you know, really talk about sin and man and God and love and the mysteries of the Trinity. And Mark is just like, great. Let's sit here in me and my makeup and drink vinegar and lettuce and eat molded dairy lee and scribbled cheddar and talk it through forever. And then we see that Joe and Jeremy are making out. And he says, well, those two gently hump in the corner. After that, we get flagpole Sitta and episode over. And we are now over halfway done with series nine. Yeah, I remember um, being at the at the advert break of this episode, being like, "Oh my god, this is the last time there's going to be more peep show left than the peep show that there's going to be," and feeling really sad about that. But this is a a great episode, so I, I, I was I was still laughing, but I felt a little bit a little bit sad to be so near to the end. I know it was pretty crazy to be so close to the end and. Yeah, it really felt like kind of the end of uh, the really, this was really the start of the end. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, but I do love this episode and it, you know, like I said, I think it's a shame that that last sort of five to seven minutes, I would say, just gets a bit daft. I think if they'd maybe cut out some of the daftness and maybe had a chance for Mark and, and April to have more of a heart to heart here, then it would have been... That would have been perfect, but it was just, it all got a bit daft with the cheese and the the makeup on the eyelids and stuff. Mm-hmm. It is funny, though. I mean, I definitely think that the makeup on the eyelids is funny. I mean, there's so much in this episode that I love. I love, you know, a lot of these, like, little subtle lines that people don't really talk about like the stop literally rubbing your hands together and there are some um, really good like some really unappreciated lines the stuff about did jesus have a cat i really like that that makes me laugh a lot and i definitely think that this episode does a good job of setting up the final three episodes down the stretch and kind of seeing like i feel like that this is the first one that really kind of sets what the narrative is going to be for the rest of the series yeah and it does. They do a good job, actually, of even though we meet Angus and don't dislike him, we they do a good job of, of sort of convincing us, the audience, that Mark isn't wrong to be pursuing this with April because I guess we feel like, well, she was the one that got away and he he had a crack at her first, um, mm-hmm. and it 
it gets the audience on side i think from for mark it also gets the audience or it got me on side for thinking that jeremy and joe should be together so i went forward completely thinking that they should be an item yeah and that was what i thought too is i thought that that was how the show was gonna proceed was that uh you know Joe and Jeremy were going to end up together, and Mark and April were going to end up together. Yeah, me too. That was that was what I thought Endgame was, but it's not quite as simple as that. No, we've got a lot of twists and turns down this crazy pipeline we call Peep Show. Yeah, so where do you think I'd put it on my all-time top, top list? Uh, let's see here. Mm. There are not many spots open now, so it's sort of getting easier. Well, my problem is, is that I have your the list that you released the last one that still has a lot of blanks ah, in you've there. not been I'm... writing them in rookie mistake no. i know uh have we have we done 23 yet no okay i'm gonna go 23 yeah it is number 23 like i say i think i mean it's hard because there's just a lot of good peep show so you can never have them all like quite in the top 10 but i think if it just if there hadn't been quite as much fast i would this would have been a bit higher but as it is it's still a, a solid one of my favorite episodes no i think that this episode is great uh like we were saying you know the underappreciated lines there's just so much funny shit in this episode yeah and i do like angus in spite of the fact that he's a wet weekend and he's a bit like and as a character he's a bit of a wet blanket i do i enjoy angus as a character <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I love Angus's character here. Yeah. Uh, have you been watching anything else? I have been watching something great this week, um, which is... Now, I don't know how you'd say this. I don't know how you'd pronounce it, because it's the American pronunciation clearly is a pun, but it's transparent is how I would say it. Um, yeah, transparent. You would say transparent. Right? I didn't know if you said transparent, which would make it, like, a pun, but anyway. Um, so, have you? is this something you've seen? It's on Amazon prime it's an amazon original I, i've heard of it i haven't watched it i've heard it's good though it's, unfortunately it's really good. unfortunately jeffrey tambor has gotten to a bit of a me too yeah. issue yeah so so spoilers ahead so i was I, we watched the first series in like an evening and thought it was brilliant and then i was like oh, i'm not going to read a, like ahead so i don't want spoilers but i was reading the av club because i like their kind of synopsis of the each episode and then I saw like a headline and I was like, oh shit, he's been sacked. So I don't know where it's going to go in season four. But um, that aside, oh no, sorry, season five, they've done season four. That aside, um, we are about three quarters of the way through series three. And it is one of the best things I've watched in a long time. I really enjoyed it. It's really well done. Um, it's really makes you think, but it's funny. It's one of those sort of like family sagas is a bit like brothers and sisters or six feet under where they constantly sort of ostensibly about one member of the family, which is a grown up family. And the dad, he comes out as a, as a as trans and he says that he is going to be um, living as a woman from now on. And then as time goes on, he goes further into the, the transitional, um, the transition process. She. she, sorry, she goes further into the transition process. And, um, it's just, yeah, it's just really well acted and funny and touching and subtle and everything that you would hope that a dramedy would be. Um, and Jeffrey Tambor, despite getting sacked for getting into a Me Too situation, he, he handles the part really sensitively. 
and is really just really believable as this at the start as this man who's got this sort of conflict about he's been clearly been feeling this way for a long time and he's been doing it in secret but he now has to tell his children and his ex-wife um and then he gets the courage to to tell them and then from that moment on is complete in his conviction that instead of being multi he's going to be more and she also then has comes up against the fact that she has to come out to her elderly mother and deal with the kind of prejudice of her sister and her mother as well so just an excellent piece of television that's well worth your time if you've not seen it yeah it's one of those shows that's always been on my list to watch and i've just never gotten around to it but i've heard it's really good yeah we were just looking for something to watch last sunday we'd been out with the kids all day in london and we're just like oh haven't got the headspace for like a film that's gonna take like up an hour and a half like let's just watch something for half an hour and then we're hooked and watch like six hours of it in one go <laughs> oh that's that's awesome i'll have to check that out yeah what about you uh well based off of michael's recommendation from last week i watched afflicted which was fucking nuts oh on netflix yeah it was yeah. a really crazy show is it is it crazy in a good way or crazy in a bad way or a bit of both it, a bit of both i mean it's a little hard to watch at points it'll also blow your mind with the medical costs i mean i know that that's kind of a frequent topic of conversation for you like yeah how much shit costs but there's one woman her husband is like well it's a good thing we're well to do because we spent like two and a half million dollars on treatments and nothing Christ. seems to be working and i'm like it's because she's fucking insane <laughs> so yeah i it's on my list it's been on my list for a little while so it does sound like an interesting thing that i will get around to uh, the woman, her name is Becca, that she lives literally out in the middle of the desert because she's got mold, allegedly has mold allergies. Right, okay. And so she lives out in the middle of the desert in, like, literally a van that had every, that had all the lining and everything stripped out of it so that mold couldn't grow in the van. Right, okay. So, I mean, it's just, like, it's crazy. That sounds pretty crazy. Like, I'm not saying that she is crazy. I'm not saying that anybody on this show is crazy. I'm just saying that it's, you know, one thing that I have discovered in my line of work is that sometimes people will call you and they'll tell you stuff that sounds totally insane. Mm. Like, I had a, I had a lady telling me how people are constantly breaking to, into her house and stealing things from her. And part of me is like, well, maybe this woman is is telling the truth and there's this like massive conspiracy of people who are just breaking into her house and stealing one thing at a time or what's more likely that she's probably just fucking that shit. <laughs> and yeah. so when I, when I'm watching the show, I was kind of watching it through that lens of, okay, well maybe there's this person that has all these weird at, you know, illnesses and allergies, or maybe they're just bad shit. And some of them kind of came under batshit and some of them were like, wow, that's really fucked. And it's hard, isn't it? Because you, I mean, especially like with me and getting the lupus diagnosis early this year. And I went through a lot of tests where, um, so I was under guys in London and they've got like a whole rheumatology wing. And I had, they knew I had rheumatology arthritis, um, rheumatology arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. And then I saw a doctor who was like, how are you feeling yourself? Like, would you like to speak to a psychiatrist? It's like, no, these are real symptoms. Like, this isn't in my head. 
these are real things. And then I was vindicated when they the test came back for lupus. But at the same time, you can see that for doctors that are dealing with these sort of things every day and that a lot of the symptoms are kind of subjective and a bit, you know, oh, okay, you're telling us you're in pain, but there's no way to, to actually verify that. And you can see that for the professionals you see this day in, day out, it probably quite often is all in people's heads and it must be difficult to make a diagnosis of some of these things. Well, that's one of the things they talk about in the show too is how, um, you know, even if it is in their head, they're still in pain and that needs to be treated. And, you know, they talk a lot about how hard it can be to find some treatment. And the thing that I was really that was the most depressing part for me was just how people will just take advantage of people who are in pain in order to make money. Oh yeah. Like it's fucking nuts. Yeah. I was funny enough. I was talking to a friend about this the other day, because obviously that's not such a big problem in, in our country because of the, the way that our healthcare system works. But fertility is a big thing where that they will just take your money and, you know, you know yourself like you've been in a position where you've been trying to have a baby and when you decide and particularly for a woman when you decide that now's the time you want to have a baby and if that's not happening it's really like it's all consuming and you will spend any amount of money and there's a massive industry in this country of like products and making money off women who are desperate to have babies and would do anything even if it's you know logically you know that these vitamins are not going to work or that having these expensive ovulation trackers and stuff are not going to actually, they're probably not going to increase your chances that much, but you're like, but I want a baby so much that I'm just going to throw mm -hmm. everything at this. And if that is, that must be in America, that must be on a grander scale because of the, the nature of your healthcare system. So yeah, that's, it's pretty fucking disgusting really, but that is a thing. My friends that just had a baby a couple months ago. So the, so their baby was born two months early and he was the one that was stayed in the NICU oh, that yeah, I was telling yeah. you about. Mm -hmm. But to just conceive that baby, if they had had to pay out of pocket for all the procedures and everything they did, because thankfully they have insurance, it was, I think she told me it was like 25 grand mm. yeah. worth IVF of procedures. Is, is something that can really add up, like IVF and ICU, um, ICO, ICI, ICI, yeah, the, the other one. Sorry, I can't remember the um, acronym at the moment. But um, so on the NHS, you get like one go in most places, two goes in some places, depending on your trust. Um, and then if it doesn't work, you have to fund it yourself. Or if one of you already has children from another relationship, you have to fund it yourself. And that can add up to, to thousands and thousands for people. Um, my hairdresser spent like 20 grand on, on IVF. And, you know it did work and she's got twin daughters now but at the same time like it's a lot of money and for a lot of people it doesn't work and it is just terrible really yeah and then their baby was born two months early he spent like six seven weeks in the neonatal intensive care unit the mm. NICU and cost him half a million dollars yeah and then Outrageous. after insurance it was eight grand mm. but yeah, I mean, it's it's fucking insane how expensive healthcare is. It's crazy, and I don't know how... Like, I just don't... I mean, obviously, you've grown up with it, so it's, like, normal to you. 
but when you were telling me about that, I was talking to my mum about it, and I said like the idea of it terrifies me. Like I don't have that sort of money, and it's not like it's not like you can say, oh no, take the baby out of the the NICU. I'll let it take its chances. You know, it's it's something mm-hmm. that's got to be done. You've got no choice. Um, I think I said this to you at the time, but I've had when I had Sadie, I had five five units of blood transfused, and when I had Esther, I had seven, and I was told they were like five hundred quid a bag, and I've not you know got that money and even after insurance have paid out if there's still a, if there's still money to pay well our savings are pretty thin on the ground you know we've got two children it's not it's not something that i could afford to just pay out for but if you don't have the blood you're probably not going to be in a great position so you can't walk out of the hospital and say don't worry i'll just I'll get my own. I'll source my own from amazon you know that's not it's yeah. just yeah it's terrible uh, anyways, so on that happy note, um, <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about your new venture and then what I will do is we will have a special, uh, preview of Laura's new venture at the end of this episode yeah. before the, before the music starts. So after the L dude honk, but before the music starts, we're going to have a little teaser of Laura's big adventure. Yeah. Um, so I decided to, after um, going to Liverpool a couple of weeks ago and seeing Brookside Close, which is where the, the soap opera Brookside was filmed, um, that I was going to like just search out some groups on Facebook. Um, and I was surprised to find, because the soap ended sort of 15 years ago now, and I was surprised to find that there's a massive Brookside following on the internet. And was got talking to someone who said like, oh, pod, like a Brookside podcast would be great. And in a moment of madness, I thought, oh, I'm sure I can do that. Um, and my sister is a media studies teacher and she also liked Brookside and was talking to her about it. And she said, oh, we should we should do something with that. Um, and then we found that all of the episodes, so there's like 2,400 and something episodes, um, but they're all available online. And we kind of got it into our heads that between us, we could have a podcast and watch every single episode, even if it took us 10 years, and blog about it. So we, on Thursday night, we recorded our first episode. Um, I'm not really sure what our plans are in terms of how often we're going to do it or what form it's going to take, because obviously it's much easier with something like Peep Show where you've got a small amount, a relatively small amount of episodes and you can sort of talk about them one by one and that's not possible with something like Brookside which is so huge but I think that the cultural impact and the sort of social impact on 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 Britain from the show there's a lot to talk about so me and my sister Rachel talked about Brookside for about an hour the other night and you're gonna very kindly try and make that into something listenable I think and um we are hoping that other people want to get involved I really want you to watch the first episode, Sean, so that I can talk to we can talk to you about it because I would be I think it would be hilarious to have your take on the situation. Um and yeah, just gonna hopefully once a month is what I'm thinking at the moment. But uh yeah, it's gonna be called Closecast and it is hopefully gonna be something people are interested in. So as Sean said, there is something coming for you at the end here before the music. Um and if you are if it sounds like something that you think you you would like to listen to, we're on Twitter at Closecast um, and on Facebook at forward slash Closecast. 
So please do come and get involved and tell us what you think and what you would like to hear on subsequent Brookside podcasts. Yeah, I'm really excited to listen to it. So I can't wait to kind of dig into it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but my sister said to me before we started recording that people confuse us a lot on the phone. So do you think Sean's going to find it difficult to distinguish between our voices? And I said, oh, I don't know. So hopefully, hopefully it'll be easy to tell which is who's who. <laughs> oh, I feel like I've heard your voice for like 80 hours. Yeah, I, I, year, I, so. I think that we don't sound that similar, but she's right. People do confuse us on the phone. So uh, yeah, but yeah, as, as, as I say, please do get in touch and let us know what you think about it. Um, and I put all the social media details at the end of the the podcast. So yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I am looking forward to that, and yeah, I'm gonna go back to sleep. So I've got to go to barbecue. Is... So I better go and get ready for that. Enjoy your barbecue. This is uh, the L Dude Brothers podcast signing off. Eh, eh, eh. Eh. Bye. Goodbye. So in terms of Brookside, um. What are your first memories of the show? So my first memories of the show was in about 94. So, because you were a big fan of it. So I remember you had, like, you watched it, like, all the time. And um, yeah, you like, had videos. I, can remember I did. Video. I'm trying to think. Of, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of it cause they, earlier on because you had, like, the Brookside the Teenagers videos they're like a compilation mm. of interviews and i remember they're that. all on youtube i've been seeking them out this week yeah in preparation um, and there was a brookside the, the women so it was a video um so phil redmond interviewed all the ladies that were um past and present cast members of brookside and then there was clips in between um and so that's my memory of it so that's about 94 95 um, actually, as a, as a little note, the, the Brookside was the first soap opera in the UK to release videos. So it was the first ever. No, is that true? Oh, they they invented the spin-off video. Oh, okay. They did, the spin-off video. They realised there was money to be made <laughs> from it. Um, and that's when, actually, when you look at the 90s, you see a lot of spin-offs, like from Coronation Street. There was, do you remember there was that one where they all went on the boat? Yeah, they went on a cruise. Some, they went on a cruise, yeah. cruise. Yeah. Uh, and then I think EastEnders did some as well, and so so yeah, that is that is actually a fact. On, oh, okay. Uh, that Brookside were the were the first to ever kind of do merchandise and videos. Right. Okay, so, that makes sense because um, Phil Redmond owned the like he made Mersey TV, didn't he? As a sort of he as did. a as a whole company to sell this program, mm. and so that makes sense that yeah. he had other commercial interests in it. Um, for me, my first memory. So I think, I think maybe Mum watched it before, yeah. like when it first started, and before we were born. So it's so it, this is worth saying at this point that neither of us were born when Brookside started in 1982. Um, you were six years away from being born. I was three years away from being born. But my my mm. initial memories of Brookside are from the tea time repeats on a Saturday. From around, I think, you were a baby. So I'd say probably about 1989, something like this. And mum, maybe not watching it, she wasn't an avid follower. But I think she had watched it at some point and she would have it on if it was on. Um, and then I started to watch it properly in 1993 when I was about seven. Um, and what hooked me was the unfolding Jordash saga. 
Um, and I was hooked and watched it through for like the next 10 years until it, it finished. And I, I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when I found out that the show was being axed. I was in the lower sixth and I was standing in the dinner queue with uh, my friend and your friend Dave. Um, and I remember somebody yeah. was uh, reading a copy of The Sun and the headline on the front of The Sun was that the Brookside had been axed. And I remember being like, I was probably about one of only about seven people in the country by that point that was still watching it, but I was really upset. Um, my best Brookside anecdote, this is worth uh, recounting, is that I got a kiss on the cheek from Max Farnham on a tube train in about 2004. Oh, yeah, I remember that. He was in a play in London somewhere. He had a bike with him. Um, I asked him if he was Max Farnham and embarrassed my train companions <laughs> when he said yes <laughs> and uh, insisted that he give me a kiss on the cheek. Uh, I think I was a bit drunk. I don't think I would have done that if I was sober. Um, and the inspiration from this podcast for me came from a recent visit to Brookside Close. I was in Liverpool and I made my husband drive and find it so that I could have my photograph taken with the that iconic uh, street sign. So that was that was that was where I got the kind of thought that I should do this. We should do something with Brookside because there's this huge Brookside fan base even now. Um, even 15 years after the show had finished, that, that really want to talk about Brookside and think about Brookside. So, yeah, so that's kind of where we're, we're starting from. Um, in terms of what Brookside was and where it fitted into the cultural landscape, Rachel, what's your understanding of how the show started and, and, and what its sort of starting point was? Like, what were, as a, as a student of media... Do you know much about what Phil Redmond's intentions were? Uh, well, Phil Redmond's intention was to to make it make a soap opera. Well, no, he didn't really class Brookside as a soap opera as such, but he wanted to make something that was just a little bit different than Coronation Street was on at that time and the um, and Crossroads. But EastEnders started three years later. Is that right? Yeah. So that started three years later. So he wanted. So he he. Uh, Phil Redmond had already had success with Grange Hill, which had gone very, done very well, um, and that kind of broke boundaries on children's drama, and you know was new and different and contemporary, and you know kind of it was that because with Grange, with Grange Hill, although Phil Redmond, as we know, was lived in Liverpool, Grange Hill was based in London because he at that time a lot of programmes were only made in London. So that's why um, Grange Hill was made in London. But Grange Hill was groundbreaking because it's all um, kind of, you, you heard children speak in London accents, which never really, you never really heard before. So it was, you know. I was reading something about Phil Redmond the other day and it said that he had taken back the schoolyard from Just William and that kind of like, Mallory Towers idea of what school was like and mm. and gave it back to people in in a form that they understood yeah. so Grange Hill was like That's school right. was for so, most. I am in loco parentis I am the last remaining contestant on The Apprentice I am the home trained dentist I am the home trained dentist 